there's a, a collective kind of community goodwill that is, is apparent all the time here. Except when you go to the assembly chambers and then it becomes like an alternative universe. When you walk in there, you're like, is this the same town I'm living in? Welcome to the East Anchorage Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gray. Today, we celebrate the one-year anniversary of the East Anchorage Book Club. When we first started a year ago, we were only doing Zoom events. We did not begin the podcast until October. We, at that time, decided that we weren't going to record the Zoom events, but we did record that very first meeting, August 9th, 2021. And our guest that night was a big name, author Heather Lindy, who is the Alaska State Writer Laureate for 2021. Lindy is the author of a number of best-selling memoirs about her life in Haines, the most recent of which is 2020's Of Bears and Ballots, an Alaskan adventure in small-town politics, which tells the story of her time serving on the Haynesboro Assembly, where shortly after her election, a recall petition was launched against her. To give you some context for the conversation you're about to hear, although she does not speak, Anchorage Assemblywoman Meg Zolotel was in attendance and was enduring a recall attempt against her, one that would prove, like Lindy's, unsuccessful. So that discussion that night of emotions regarding recalls was especially relevant. Before we dive into the interview, here is a quick word from our wonderful sound engineer, Corey Coolidge, regarding his new YouTube channel about life in Anchorage. Thank you, Andrew. As a resident of Anchorage for over four years now, I've come to love the city that I call home, and I'm always surprised by what I find here and who I meet. From interesting businesses and charities, events and culture, and of course, the great outdoors, there is something for everyone and always new things to discover. And that's why my new YouTube channel is called Anchorage Life, and you can find it at anchoragelife.net. It's a way for the people of Anchorage to take pride in their home and a window in for everyone else around the world. So I hope you take a minute to visit anchoragelife.net, and if you like it, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you won't miss new videos. Heather Lindy, welcome to the podcast. I was going to read your bio. Do you want me to? No, no. Okay. <laughs> no, you have to read my bio. But for, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Heather Lindy, and I, I live in Haines. And I, I kind of know Anchorage, or some of you folks maybe, because for a long time I had a column in the Anchorage Daily News. Um, I wrote a book called If You Lived Here, I'd Know Your Name back in uh, 2005. And then another one called Take Good Care of the Garden and the Dogs. And then another one called Find the Good. And they're all basically you know, stories about life in Haines and life and death in Haines because I'm a longtime obituary writer for the paper, have a big family. My husband and I own a lumber yard in Haines and I have five children and got 11 grandchildren at this point. Um, so big, big scene, you know, a lot going on in a small town. And that's usually what I write about. But then in uh, 2016, I uh, <laughs> decided to run for the borough assembly <laughs> and I got elected. And um, it was very dramatic because it was uh, very much mirrored uh, national politics. And um, I was pretty naive uh, going in thinking that, you know, first of all, that there was going to be the first woman president and my grandchildren would be so proud of me. And everybody knows me in Haines. And so they know how I think. So it's not like a big surprise, you know, if I was more progressive on some issues and that I like the library and the swimming pool and trees, you know, so I thought everybody knew that. And um and if they elected me, then that would be okay. I could represent them. But um, right away, uh, well, I mean, like the next morning after the election, there were cries that for a recall, that it was a mistake, that two of us, myself and the editor of the Chilkat Valley News, Tom Morfitt, were elected over a slate of much more, you know, make Haynes great again, folks. And um, it was brutal. <laughs> it was a really interesting experience. And it somewhat mirrored, you know, what happened in Homer that you might be more familiar with. Um, uh, in the end, three of us ended up being uh, uh, recalled or voted, you know, a recall election nine months after I was elected. And um, actually, we got more votes in the second election than I had in the first. <laughs> so, and all of us did, which was also good. The voters in Haynes rejected the whole premise of it. I mean, they knew it was kind of it was sort of crooked from the get-go. And um, so, uh, and then I ended up um, writing a book about it, uh, which I hadn't planned to because I didn't really think that being on the borough assembly would be that interesting, but I, I just naturally tell stories about, you know, things that I do. 
and and honestly, there wouldn't have been a book if there wasn't a recall because that then became very much you know current with 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 what's happening and even even and even since the book the book came out twenty twenty um, but even since then i you know a lot of what's happened in the world with um covid with um uh, you know black lives matter with all the issues of of last year um you know, um, there, there are things that I also realized that government, you know, really, uh, and our system of government can really be, um, uh, in some ways has, in many ways, has kept the status quo and the, that sort of patriarchy and, um, you know, has, has, has been really for the, is set up really for the privileged. I kind of knew that when I was on the assembly, but it's become more and more apparent, especially um, even following the, the whole openness of all the Zoom meetings that everybody can suddenly go to. When our meetings, I mean, who's going to go to a meeting at seven o'clock on a Tuesday night that has kids or a elder at home or just a job and a life and they need to, uh, you know, have dinner at home and regroup. They're not going to run down to meetings and sit there for three hours and listen to the, basically a lot, a lot of stuff before you even get to say anything on what you're interested in. Half the time when you go to a meeting, what you want to talk about is like the last thing on the agenda and it's at 9.30 and you're sitting there the whole time. And it's it's not for the every man or woman. You talked about in the book about how your kids weren't super excited about you running for assembly and that your husband had said something, I mean, I want to paraphrase it about how it's in the end, it's probably not going to be any fun or something, yeah. something, something like, like that. And I guess, you know, with your family not really saying, do it, mom, you know, I wonder why did you run for assembly? And do you feel, how do you feel about their trepidation now as opposed to then? It's really good that they, none of them have said, I told you so, <laughs> but it, it, they were correct and I was wrong. And I think and this is where um, politics uh, disconnects from community. Um, I live in a great community. I have a wonderful community of people around me. And Haynes is very small. You know, yeah, there's some people that are, you know, I, I don't agree with them or we rub elbows a little bit. But in general, even the, even the grumps I have relationships with, you know, I, I can't say I don't know them. And, and they're, you know, they, I don't know, they fix my furnace and, plow my driveway and sell me groceries and um, teach my kids. I mean, you know, we're all work at the clinic. They're, when you call the ambulance, they come, you know, um, and sometimes they're not my favorite people, but there's a, a collective kind of community goodwill that is, is apparent all the time here, except when you go to the assembly chambers and then it becomes like an alternative universe. When you walk in there, you're like, is this the same town I'm living in? It's like, who are these people that are yelling at us and who are seeing the town as, you know, um, if, if you go to an assembly meeting, you know, we're dying. We don't have an economy. We need timber. We need mining. We need to get rid of these greenies or these people that don't have jobs. And our kids can't stay here. And it's terrible because everybody's leaving town and we don't have any money. And why do we have to pay for a swimming pool and a library? You know, people should pay for those themselves. And don't they know that we're broke? And don't they know that the economy stinks? And I'm like, wait a minute. We have a lumberyard here. It supported us and five children. It's not like a toy business. It's real. And it's here. And it's been here since 1986. The grocery stores are, those families are here. I have two adult children here and five grandchildren and two more in Juneau and one in Australia. And none of that really has anything to do with the economy because none of them even wanted to take over our business. So, you know, I'm sitting here going, wait, that's not the story, but it's the story. It's a really popular story that people who get in politics seem to just repeat and repeat and repeat. And it's an Alaskan one too, I think. So that gets, um, uh, and you and you sit there and you're like, what? I, I don't understand. So so, um, and it's hard not to let that bring you down. Also, what I found was that when I went into assembly meetings, all my friends and my neighbors and everybody, they're not going to go to a meeting. The only people that go to meetings are really people who are mad and they kind of want to put you in your place. And they're at the same meetings all the time, and so they end up having kind of undue influence on the representatives. 
because then they can say, look, if other people cared, they'd be here, but they don't. So, so I represent people that do care. And I know a lot of people that think like me, you just don't see them, you know, and then you're, how do you counter that? You know, with no polling and no numbers, you're going to say, wait, that's, but it, it, it starts to get in your head. And, um, and yet I wouldn't tell my friends, oh, come to a meeting just, you know, to help. I just had to keep trying to remember that about the community. Um, but it, it, it can be hard. And politics also, you know, sometimes the things, and I've seen, I've seen um, uh, films of the Anchorage Assembly meetings and read some of the things that have been said lately even, and it's kind of horrifying. Um, but it's not any different than what happens here, I don't, I don't think. And yet I know Anchorage has a really great community of arts and people and it's diverse and smart and all that. So, you know, that's, that's the difficult thing on the assembly. Um, at least in Haynes, it was for me. So, but I don't regret being on it because I know that I did help make decisions um, that were good ones. Mainly it came in, in hiring good people that are still there because that's a whole nother level of public service is the people who work in government. And that's sometimes uh, neglected, you know, when you're thinking about it, those people that work there that are doing the right thing and they can very much be your allies in this, you know, the planners, the assistance to the manager, the clerks, they can help you with the process and that's their job. And they're not really political. They're not the same as trying to deal with assembly members or with the mayor, whatever elected people. Um, the people that work in government usually are, are, you know, they're good they're, and they're pretty much true believers in the process. And so that's, those are your allies, I think, when you're trying to get things done and they should be able to help you with ways to properly um, give the assembly information or, um, or, or, you know, how to understand when to go to meetings or which ones are important or when to speak or not to speak. They can guide you that way and they should be able to. So, um, no, I don't regret doing it. Um, I also realized too, that you can be a more powerful advocate for causes outside of the assembly than you can inside because um, sometimes when you're there, then there's all the dynamics again of this particular assembly and trying to, you know, you pick the things that you're really going to hold on to and what things you can give up. There's a lot of compromise where when you're in the audience, you can just keep talking about the library until you're blue in the face and you don't have to worry about, um, you know, the, the doors on the public safety building the way the assembly might have to when they're allocating funds. So, um, there, there's that too. So, um, and you don't have to be at meetings for hours and hours. You can just go during public comment or write your letter and leave. <laughs> so it's a lot less time. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I'm glad I did it. I, um, I think I've, I helped two, two people that ran for office, a young woman, uh, who was a clerk at the liquor store. It was like 33 or four and she's on the assembly now. And, um, a, uh, an older woman that was an arts advocate, she ran too. And I, I think I inspired them a little. So that, that, that was good. Um, and I think I, I never, uh, at least in public, I never lost it. You know, I was, I was, uh, gracious and positive and I, I didn't cry and I didn't scream. <laughs> so I think that was, that was a plus that it was for me, it was also sort of a personal, um, um, a victory personally to be able to come out of it um, feeling positive about how I at least had behaved in the face of some of it. Um, so, you know, and I, uh, the other thing I can tell you is like, I, I kept, what helped me too was thinking about uh, people that I admired in, in, in the public sector or even people who advocate for different things. And I thought, sometimes over and over again about like um, one of my friends um, uh, was uh, Mildred Besser, whose husband was a, um, is uh, a retired archdeacon in the Episcopal church and her uh, oldest uh, daughter identified as a lesbian and, and said that, um, uh, and, and Mildred for, I mean, this was back 20, 30 years ago and Mildred uh, 
darling, quintessential little old lady, pastor's wife, curly hair, sweetest woman you'd ever meet. I don't know if some of you know her, but she just advocated over and over again for um, equal rights and gay rights and especially, you know, um, uh, marriage um, for, for her daughter and her partner who became her wife. And, um, and, and people said horrible things to Mildred. I mean, horrible you know, legislators did and assembly people and Juno and places. And she just always just kept at it. And, um, uh, and she was, when she was dying was when the Supreme court legalized gay marriage. And it was uh, literally on her deathbed. She was watching it on TV and passed away and said, well, now I can go. And I, I, you know, I really admired that. She just was persistent. And that's one of the things that I've learned. A lot of this stuff doesn't come quick. Even um, Elizabeth Perotrovich, you know, who we, we love as a civil rights leader in Alaska. I mean, it's kind of shocking that it took her, you know, we, we, we hail her victory with the state legislature at the time of the territorial legislature. But God, it took like four years. They didn't listen the first couple of times. I mean, and the things they said about her were horrific. And she just kept at it. You know, you can't just turn around and leave and pick up your cards and go home because then it won't work. So if you're if you're really committed to stuff, you have to kind of stay in there and build relationships with people. And that might not be what you want to hear, but sometimes change takes a while. You said that those people who showed up at every meeting, who kind of claimed that if other people cared, they'd show up. I'm the mm-hmm. person who's showing up. You should listen to me. And how you were trying to sort of... Uh, make sure that you didn't give them undue influence. I guess on the one hand, I wanted, I want sort of to know how you're capable of doing that. And on the other hand, how can we be the people who show up and do have an influence? I mean, you know, I think, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think showing up is good. And I think not being intimidated and staying there and, you know, and walking in and saying hi and smiling and sitting next to people you know, avoiding the eye rolling, the whispers, the snarky stuff that can happen really quickly, uh, laughing or, oh, you know, d- try never to do that. Um, and, um, but that I, I think, you know, every time it, it that oftentimes um, that, that crowd, you know, they can yell and scream, but so can another crowd too. So it's, I think it's just really important to always be framing what you're doing in the positive you know, you're coming from a positive position. You don't say that these people, I don't want, no, you're wrong. I don't like what you say, but you just say what you want to say, what you want to have happen, why you want it to have happen, what you think the benefit to the citizens is, to the common good, to the community. And you just keep doing it that way. That has, that does more, I think, than criticizing the other people or saying they're wrong. You just keep talking about what's right, what you're doing. I think that has a, it's hard to counter that. You know, if someone's nice and they're, they're unabashedly pro what they're doing, it, it's, it's difficult to yell. Somebody might yell at you, but if you say, you know, thank you, and you don't take the bait, I think that's a, a you know, assembly people watch that. The other thing I think too is that if you can, and this is so unfair, but it's true, is if when you're going to meetings, if you can find somebody they don't expect to be an ally in something that you want, you know, because pretty soon Anchorage may be just like Haynes, where everybody knows what I could say. Everybody's going to know what I'm going to say. I don't even need to go. I just need to stand up and go, "Ah, I'm for this. And I don't have to give like my four paragraphs of reasons in my three minute time. They know, Heather, we know where you're at. Likewise, uh, Big Don, he doesn't have to give any reasons. He can just say, I'm against it because everybody knows that he is but you know like I I wrote about the book that when you get the basketball coach never says anything stands up and says you know I don't think this mine is such a good idea I mean everybody knows you want to keep your water clean whoa I mean there's like silence in the room and assembly all leans forward you know because it's a voice that's different than the local environmental group that has been there every single meeting pounding it out and um, it's the people in the middle uh, that are often have the most influence and if finding them to be there at the right time, and that's unfair, you might say, but I can tell you from sitting there, it's true. It's someone that they don't expect to have a, 
uh, you know, it's someone that they might even like a lot because they might have already decided they don't like me, but they really like that. You know, they're already they're done with me, but they really like that guy. And when he says it, it makes him go, hmm. You know, at least they're not they can't dismiss it. They have to look at it and it might just get somewhere. So when you're going there and there's a big issue, if you can find some people that might not normally be who they expect. And, you know, the other thing too, is when you're, when you're talking with them, if you can offer some, some other avenues, some solutions, some more meetings, I mean, they study things to death in government. And so at the very least, if you can just get something postponed rather than, uh, stopped completely. But if you can say, you know, we'd really like to have a socioeconomic study. We think that's reasonable, how it's going to affect our property values, you know, whatever. We, and obviously we want to solve the homeless problem if that's what it is, you know, say, um, and we have some ideas. This is what they've done here and here and here. And you could even go the route, which has been, which some groups have done in Haynes, particularly with the mining was they actually held forums themselves and brought experts in and invited the assembly to come. We brought someone in from a small town that had a big mine and we've got four speakers. We're holding a forum and we welcome you. Brought someone in to discuss, you know, maybe work with something like the Rasmussen Foundation. They've been very involved. If you could write a grant to have some sort of a summit and, and invite them and say, at least until our summit, let's have a discussion on what is the best way to do this. I mean, I might be, I don't know all the issues that well, but that's another really um, effective way to slow something down or to do, not just slow it down, but also to actually do the right thing, you know, with the situation rather than just do the political thing or the quick thing that might not be so great in the long run for the entire community. That's really good. Those are two really good ideas. A really emotional part of the book is when that your sister has called and she's reading the names of yeah. all the people who have signed the petition to have you recalled. And um, your husband actually breaks down when about one of the people. And yeah. so my question is a little bit about how you, uh, how you coped with that and how, and then sort of what the aftermath has been in terms of those actual people, or, or I guess, I guess more generally, can you just talk about the recall experience? Yeah, it was awful pretty much because, you know, friends of mine signed my recall petition, people that I hang out with that I've known for years and I didn't know it because I didn't look at it very closely. And then what, when Andrew's talking about is a, my sister called and starts reading it to me because they post it, you know, this is, that, that's the other thing, um, too, to be aware of. With all of your communications with assembly members, when you send emails, I don't know about phone calls, but emails certainly are all logged and they're all public. So assume that every email you send to an assembly member, even if you think it's not, it's just between you and them or a, a, an official, that it's public, that what you're saying is, you know, and that's just something to know when you're interacting with government, even with a very friendly official. Like you'll think it's sort of casual and then it could come back to bite you. Um, and um, so just assume that every interaction you have with anybody in local government is public. Um, and and that's why I, I actually got to the point where it was just better to talk to somebody instead of emailing, even though it's quicker and you think, well, that's courtesy if I'm sending somebody an email then I'm not bugging them on the phone. But sometimes it's better just pick up the phone because an email can be used all kinds of ways that aren't necessarily positive but anyway um it it um it was very difficult in a small town to have people um sign a petition that says basically that i conducted misconduct in office when i hadn't and um and then to be told by them well you know it's just an election it was just so we could have an election and we supported elections i'm like no it wasn't if you read the fine print, you signed it because you said that I had lied and, and was incompetent. And I'm really competent. I know I read all of my, I read everything in my packet and I know more about half of this stuff than anybody else sitting there and I study it. And so don't, that's not okay. And, um, uh, you know, I got to the point, like I, I would be kind of embarrassed. I didn't want to go to the grocery store. Um, 
I didn't want to go out. My one of my daughters didn't was sort of dissed from her book club. Um, it was uh, it was very hard, and um, and my husband's store was uh, boycotted. Uh, our lumberyard was for a time, but then actually people came in because of it, and I think we ended up doing more business. <laughs> but you know, a bad way to get business. Um, uh, you know, and you realize that you're all connected to people and people say pretty awful things. But then the other, it's such an interesting thing. is like when it's all over, um, everybody was like, well, forgive and forget. <laughs> and you're just like, easy for you to say. <laughs> and, but there's also some real wisdom there. I mean, I just had to, like, then I had to stay for another two years and change and um, be on the assembly and sit there and make decisions with the people who would actually pass the petition who were on like the head of the Ports and Harbor Commission and the head of the Planning Commission. And I had to, the police chief, the manager, the people that had really gone after me that I, I had to continue working with. And I had to kind of suck it up and be polite, not always agree with them, but I had to get back in the, in the, in the ring, so to speak. Um, and then people in town, I, no, there's actually nobody that ever apologized to me, but, um, people have been really nice to me in certain situations and I just took it as a, maybe I'm naive and I just took it as an apology. You know, um, one of the guys that signed my petition, we got, my husband and I got stuck in our boat moose hunting on the river and he turned around in an airboat and he pulled us out and he got the boat on the trailer and he drove us home and he, he went above and beyond. And he never said, Hey, I'm sorry about signing that petition. And you know, that was a pretty bad deal you got, but he spent hours helping us when he hadn't hardly spoken to us in, in a year. So I, um, I took that as an apology. <laughs> and, and, um, likewise, you know, in the grocery store, one of the stores that was particularly not kind to me, you know, when they said, oh, Heather, you know, we got your favorite sourdough breads in. Oh, thank you. You know, okay, I'll, I'll take it. And uh, I'll walk in the brewery, you know, and there'd be some of the good old boys at the in the brewery. And, uh, you know, and I smile and say hi, and they say hi, and they say something about my, garden or dog or whatever and I say thanks you know so that that's uh, maybe that's the best that you can hope for and that's one of the things I learned that uh, I mean and I write about that in the book I guess that you know you have to accept apologies that are never offered <laughs> and you have to uh, because otherwise it's just on you and I know it's easy for me to say too because I'm like white and privileged and you know, it wasn't so bad. My feelings were hurt, but ultimately I wasn't fighting for bigger causes, just the local community. So I, I can forgive. I, I don't know if it, you know, if it'd been more fundamental or bigger things, but I can say that it still, it's kind of on my soul. You know, I was reading um, a poem by Joy Harjo, who's going to be in Anchorage. Um, and, uh, and she talks about, you know, uh, a, saying a prayer for her enemy. And she says in the poem that she, she, that she has to pray for, the only way she can pray for an enemy is if she has a relationship with them. And then they better be careful because if she lets them into her heart, then they may end up becoming friends. And that's a really wise um, statement. And I think that explains a lot because in, in the current government mood, you know, on Facebook, social media, the comments in the newspaper, whatever, a lot of our enemies are people that we don't know, that we don't really need to let in. I don't have any idea who half the people are in Washington that I'm, I'm furious with. <laughs> I don't know them, but locally I do. And so some of them may end up becoming my friends if I'm not careful, <laughs> or maybe if I am wise, you know, and that's the way we change. I mean, that, that's the way we change the world. It's not going to be, you know, keeping to separate them. So it's tricky finding those um, people that are the ones that are the turning point, you know, the basketball coach or the, or the friend, maybe from some other part of your life that actually 
knows that you're okay and you know they're okay. And when you get into some trouble, even if your politics are so different, they may just end up surprising you. I mean, that's worth holding on to in, in, in relationships, even as you go forward. And I think the other thing is, is when you're dealing with politics, if you're constantly kind of reassessing and you know you're coming from a position of community good, love, sounds corny, but you know, not selfishness, not greed, not some personal gain. You know, you're you're on the high road and and that gives you some confidence in, in your argument. But um, you know, and, and you just keep checking that. Is am I saying this just because of preconceived things? Am I really being clear here? Am I fair? Is this just about, uh, you know, that I don't want it in my backyard or is it more than that? Is it, this isn't the best solution? You know, you just have to keep reassessing your own values and your own reasons and making sure that you're there for the best reasons. And then you're always okay, no matter how mad people get at you. In the end, you're going to win, you know, at least, <laughs> at least morally. <laughs> your recall was actually about uh, that three assembly members had done assembly business outside, mm-hmm. you know, so it was like a technicality because it wasn't really true. Yeah, we um, didn't do it. No. Right. So my, but as you said in the book, or, or maybe it was in the interview, it's all a blur now, but that the real reason was that these people disagree with your politics and yeah. they were after you from day one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the recall basically started the moment you were elected. And so I think what I'm curious about is how do you defend yourself when their, their, their complaint is with you? It's not with the fact that you had an email. You can't. I mean, that, that was the problem. You couldn't. And we never got an opportunity to, because even when the radio station and the TV, you know, the radio station and the newspaper did a big forum, you know, before the recall election, finally to say, um, you know, what, what was going on, they asked three of the recall supporters and then the three of us to come to a public forum in the Chilcat Center, you know, the microphones are set up, the water, you got the newspaper, people, the radio, people could call in questions, the full audience, pre-COVID. Um, and we walked in, the three of us, and it was, you know, uh, four days before the election. And um, the other side didn't show up. Not one person came because they couldn't answer the real questions. They didn't come, except one of the leader of the, of the um, recall was in the audience. and. Um, well, someone said, what, what is this really about? I said, I don't know. Maybe you should ask him. He's sitting right here. And he, he said, um, no comment. I said, that's all you're going to say after like nine months of putting our town through this and us, and that you're just going to say no comment. But the newspaper put a photograph of it, you know, by half of the front page. And I think that's what really um, ended the the recall when people realize they don't even have an argument. I mean, these guys are right. They didn't do anything wrong and the people won't even say anything. However, the one thing I did note in the book is afterwards, I talked to um, Don Turner who had organized the recall and um, who said no comment at the time. And I said to him, you know, it's maybe a couple months later, we're still not on really, he's not in my kitchen having coffee like he used to be, put it that way. But um, I, I said, I said, how come you didn't, why didn't you say anything? I mean, why didn't you? I mean, you're pretty good at drumming up all these signatures and driving everybody's house and banging on the door. You must've been saying something to people to get them to sign it. Why didn't you say anything at the meeting? And he said something that I've thought about that I think is also part of the divisions that we have. And it's just something to be aware of. Is he said, um, he said, you and Tom, particularly speaking, the newspaper editor, uh, he said, um, you, you make me look stupid. You talk too well. I know I can't say anything because you're going to make me look stupid. And it's a, a curse of being articulate and having an education. And there's definitely that part of what's happening in our country right now with a certain segment of it that are, you know, and, and that's something to always be aware of. You know, I, I hadn't. I never intentionally would want to make someone not feel um, intelligent. 
uh, and n- not feel valued, you know, and uh, or respected. But to have him think that means that I failed somewhere. And, um, and it's just something to be aware of when you're in front of the assembly or in front of people who may not be as up on the issues or able to stand up in front of a microphone or write as good an email or whatever it is that puts them off. And I don't know how to fix that, but it's something to be aware of. Hi, I'm Daniela Delosier. I live in Anchorage. My question for you is really, um, as an assembly person, um, how would you say that like just an everyday person kind of like us, if we had an issue or that we felt like you also were on the same side of um, based on comments in assembly meetings or emails or other things, we had a sense of where you were leaning. What's the best way for us to support you? Well, I think the best way and in this, and I don't mean this um, glibly, but I think the best way is to make sure that you don't waste the assembly person's time. I mean, if you already have them, if they're already with you, you don't need to remind them of the talking points or the issues, you know, constantly be calling and saying, hey, there's a meeting tonight. Where are you? You know, what can we do? Trust that if they're with you, they're going to be with you. Um, and then ask them, even ask them, what's the best way I could support you tonight uh, at the meeting? Or do you need any, is there anything we could do that would help you to uh, get this ordinance through or this on the agenda or at the time, you know, ask them. I know for me, sometimes it was frustrating that some of the, my, I used to hang up the phone sometimes like, with, you know, with friends like I have who needs enemies. I mean, they're like, ah, oh, they'd see you at a party and there they'd go or they'd see you at the, in the grocery store. And it's like, I'm with you. You don't have to convince me. I'm going to vote for it. I'm on it. I'm introducing the ordinance. I'm a hundred percent there. You don't have to do anything. I'm there and I'll do my best, but target the people that aren't. You know, ha- go to someone on the assembly that isn't. And but I think I would ask them because that sometimes, um, uh, you know, groups that are, are are very zealous about something and have an assembly member's ear, then they tend to keep taking it. And that person is like busy and they're with them already, so they don't need to hear the arguments again. They've got it. They're going to vote for it when it comes up. They're going to vote with you, and so. You don't need to keep communicating with them, but you might want to say, how could, what, what could we do? And that's when I would say something, well, you know, you need to call this assembly person because they, I was in a committee meeting with the other day and they were kind of on the fence and maybe have one of your people who just, you know, he coaches little league. You have somebody that coaches little league that can call him to, to maybe sway him because he's close. Don't even bother calling this person because they're just going to get mad and they're never going to vote for it anyway, but it's going to be three to four and we've got, this person that that might just do it. And if you can find someone that knows them, see if you can get them to, to do it. You know, there's that's when it gets right down to things. Then there also may be things like you can help an assembly person, for instance, if I don't know where you're at with something, but if you know something like a resolution, if there's something like the wording for an ordinance, if there's something for a committee, you know, that you can help them with the with the wording and how how it might be best presented. I don't know if the Anchorage Assembly, maybe they have people that do that. Maybe they get paid enough that they can do this. But sometimes that was difficult for me when someone would come forward and they'd have a resolution for a a specific cause and I'd be all for it, but I I didn't want to write it. Like I, I, I would support it, but writing it takes time and proofreading it and all that. And if they could sort of send me the basic script and I could fix it up, that's, that's helpful. And I'm a writer. So for people who aren't, that can be very burdensome of just expecting them to carry the, the weight of the whole thing. If there's people that can help with something like that, that might be helpful to an assembly person. Thank you. Sarah Catherine has a question. Your suggestion that we recruit people who aren't the, you know, in the usual core of like six or seven progressive people who can be counted on to <coughs> actually show up to things. Um, is excellent advice and I have no idea how to do it effectively. I, I, I don't feel like I have more than maybe like one friend in the world who would attend uh, an assembly meeting with me. Um, and I don't think that um, I've got what it takes to just like Svengali 
a few people at the cafe into like <laughs> telling me what's important to them and then convincing them that certain agenda items are going to get them what they want and getting them in the assembly, getting them to talk, getting them that hit of adrenaline and then they're hooked. Um, I, I just, that's the best strategy I have and it's never going to work. Do you have winning, getting people in the door tactics? <clears throat> Again, I think look at community connections if you have them. And I don't know enough about Anchorage connections, but you know, if you look at the assembly and you look, I mean, if there's uh, where they worship, where they go for entertainment, where they volunteer, if there's somebody in those lines that might cross over to your neighborhood or to an issue that you care about, that you know has a relationship with them, that might be someone to invite. And not to every meeting, but an important one. You know, like one, or to even have them just send an email to them. Hey, I'm interested in this, you know, I'm concerned about this. And I hear, you know, you're, you're looking it up, you know, have them call them on the phone, like make it easy for the person. They might not go to a meeting, but when they hear from someone that, you know, supports whatever it is that you're talking about, that is somebody in their inner circle, they might not, might not change their mind, but they might listen more to that person, unfortunately, than they would to you. You know, the other thing is too. When you talk about, and I, I'm there, you know, the small group that you're going, you're going to the assembly every time. And it sounds nuts, you know, but winning over even the other side can be as simple as when you show up in the meeting, like when you guys come, you've got cookies. <laughs> I mean, I don't, again, I don't know like the COVID protocol, but like you're friendly to them. Like it's very hard for them to um, not listen to you because you're not, because they're kind of liking you when you right away. And, and if you're friendly to the enemy, it's the Joy Harjo thing. Um, you, you, it, it, you know, they just might be glad to see you. And that changes the game instead of, Oh, here they come again. They're going to just talk and yell and I'm not there, you know, where if they're like, these guys are kind of fun when they come in, you know, I don't know if that's possible on all the issues, but again, uh, boy, you catch more, more flies with honey. I just know that standing up and calling, you know, BS on people or yelling at them, even if it's true, just, you know, you can just see like the, the hurricane shades come down. They're, they're not going to budge where if they don't, if they kind of like you, it's very difficult for them to completely dismiss you. And then you know, at least you're still in the game. I keep putting this, I keep putting it on Lisa because she loves you. So. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, I, I wanted to ask a little bit about um, uh, Raven Rant, which sounds like a, a small town version of something we have here, save Anchorage. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I wonder what the, I, I understand that, that you get more flies with, with honey and I, I definitely agree with that in person, and I do not um, uh, argue over the internet. But when you, when I see what they have written, it really it scares me. Do you see us getting past this time, this kind of um, Fox News inspired? type of um, vitriol that we're seeing so much more of and even in our small towns. I've recently returned to some um, uh, fishing villages that I've lived in and, and I think that it's gotten a lot more divisive um, uh, uh, like it has on the, uh, the national and I'm hoping that with, like you said, with um, a trying to find common ground and make friends, bring cookies, what have you. But at what point do you just disengage? Suppose. Um, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, that's your own Waterloo. I mean, you disengage when it's racist, you disengage when it's homophobic, you disengage when it's violent. I mean, you have to, you, you know, you, you can't be like, you don't bring cookies to somebody who's really, really bad. Um, no, I, and that's a judgment. I should say, but who is, who is, you know, totally against your values and you can still, and you can call them on it. You can just say, Hey, you know, this is not acceptable, not okay. And I like to do it not online. 
I mean, because hands are small enough, when I see the person, I mean, I saw somebody, you know, I look and I saw, you know, the Haynes chatters and saying, you know, at one point, you know, kill all Democrats. We need to kill them all, you know, Democrats or whatever. And this is a woman who walks by my house every day, walking her dog. And I went out and she goes, oh, hi, Heather. I said, what are you talking to me for? I said, don't, you just said you wanted to kill me online. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm a Democrat. And she was like, well, I wasn't talking about you. And I was like, well, think about what you're saying then. You know, because that's. Yeah, like the, and, and then she was just like, oh, well, well sorry. You know, and I'm like, there you go. And so, you, I mean, you call them on it in person. And then they're like, well, I didn't mean, I didn't mean you. I'm like, well, who do you mean then? I mean, I read it and that's how I took it. And so, you know, I, I think, I think then it's okay to, to, to call people on things. Um, and mine, again, is very minor compared to what some of the stuff has said, but, um, but I don't engage on social media. It's no point. I mean, it's just, it's just every time I've done it, I'm, I regret it because I'll say something and then everybody jumps all over you and it's just like, forget it. You can't win. Cause it's just like whack-a-mole. Everybody's screaming. Well, and I see it on social media and then see them and, you know, try to keep the two separate, I suppose. Um, I don't look to make any friends um, or anything no, like that. that. But you know, Hey, I saw what you wrote. I, I disagreed. You know, I'm sorry that you had to say that. And a lot of times people back right down. They're like, oh, oh well, I wasn't talking about that. And like, yeah, yeah, no, you got a point. And I'm like, oh, you know, you got to be careful how you use your words because, well, you know, they can be real zingers. And then they're just like, oh, you know, if they know people are watching. And if you say something to them in public, you know, in person, it's so weird, like in a small town, especially that there's things on Facebook and then you see someone in the grocery store and like, are you not supposed to mention what you said about my kids on Facebook? I think I might just say something to you, you know, and then when you do, they're like, oh, what? Oh, gosh, you saw that? Oh, gee, I didn't mean it. It's like, I want to think about that. And it, you know, hopefully doesn't matter the world, but at least, you know, something. Thank you. But I don't know. Yeah, the answer to your questions, I don't know how we do. And I think you're right. It, it has been. But the other thing I found, the one thing that is p positive in all this is that I've watched in Haynes lately, you know, and it's like stuff you read on Facebook from Haynes, you go to Haynes Chatters, and it's supposed to be information like now about COVID. And of course, everybody's pro all the anti-vax and pro -vax. It's just like, wait a minute, this isn't what's supposed to be happening here. But it's only like seven people. And they're the same seven people and they've made like 69 comments back and forth at each other. And, you know, sometimes you just have to remember that when, when you look at it and you start to like think everybody's crazy. It's like, wait a minute, how many people are actually engaged in this post? It's the same ones. And they're, they're, you know, the people are fighting for the good people are fighting for the bad and they go, they just keep going back and forth at each other. And then you realize, Oh, it just poisons you to even read it. So skip it. What did you want me to read, Andrew? Which pages? I wanted you to read. Um, so I have the paperback. I don't know if that's different, but it's 128 to 129. When I write me hostility with grace. It's actually, this is perfect. This is exactly what we're talking about, actually. Okay. okay so this is, um, this comes out from Meet Hostility with Courtesy. And I have some other notes I take. And, and just as a background, you know, um, one, one of, uh, uh, one of them, um, that when I mentioned Becky Nash, um, her son, Aaron had died, um, recently. And, um, I wrote his eulogy and she's my son's godmother. So that's where that came from. But this, this sort of chapter comes out of knowing the community through, through writing obituaries, um, and, and, and death and relationships. It's kind of weird, but it's just my life, but I'll, I'll read it. And I wrote on the top of my agenda, every time at the assembly, I wrote myself notes, um, little, little things to remind myself to like behave because I can be, I mean, at the dinner table, I can give people the what for, you know, and I can swear sometimes, but I try not to in public. <laughs> so, so I would have to give myself notes to like calm down, listen. I had a little list of notes uh, that I wrote every time sort of as a little practice to get me being mindful in the assembly meetings. When I write mate hostility with courtesy on my agenda and listen, I am mindful of all these things, but when I write, be kind, be brave, be thankful, I take a deep breath. This was Becky Nash's prayer for my only son. 
She is his godmother and wrote those words in a card she gave him before he left for a year in Australia. She wrote it again on the chalkboard in our mudroom after Aaron died. That's her son. My job writing obituaries at the Chilcat Valley News helps keep politics in perspective. Some people, my favorite ones often, devote their lives to causes that they care about, that make the world a better place, from parks and preschools to mental health care and the arts. Their families proudly note those accomplishments and commitment to them, especially in the face of adversity. When I write obits, no one has ever asked me to tally grandpa's wealth or make sure readers know what presidential candidates he voted for. A graduation date, the names of their children, or the way the sun caught Aaron's smile when he soared through the air on his snowboard are all more relevant in the end than money and politics. Issues maybe, such as that they cared about family planning or were instrumental in developing the tourism industry. But politics, no. Thank you so much. You're Heather. welcome. It has been Bye. such a pleasure to have you. I, I thank you, Andrew, for asking me. I don't know if I've helped you all much, but um, if there's anything I can do, um, I don't hesitate to contact me again. And uh, I got to go make my dad and my husband dinner. <laughs> well, thank you again. We're all super grateful. Have a great okay. night. All right. Thank you. It turned out Heather Lindy was of enormous help. We had no idea at that time how things would change for us at the East Anchorage Book Club and at Anchorage Action. We tried many of the things that she suggested. We hosted our own forums and invited assembly members. We tried to cultivate relationships with local leaders. And last Christmas, I even brought some treats to the Anchorage Assembly meeting. I shared them with my friends, but I also shared them with other folks in the chambers, people whom I had had great disagreements with. And you know what? It worked. At least two of those people whom I shared Christmas treats with have never publicly criticized me again, and I've been much more careful when speaking about them. So big gratitude to Heather Lindy for what she helped start. Thanks to Corey Coolidge for making this podcast listenable, and thank you to you, our loyal listeners. On August 15th, from 6 to 7 p.m. on Zoom, we are hosting Ouija Totsi, a longtime political operative here in Anchorage, who will be giving advice about how volunteers can make the biggest difference and helping the candidates that they support succeed in our upcoming elections. Email eastanchoragebookclub at gmail.com for the Zoom link. Thanks again for supporting us over the last year.